Just like facts have no place with an organized religion. Michael Graff. Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. The zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Oh, you have got to be kidding, sir. First you think of an idea that has already been done. And then you give it a title that nobody could possibly like. The Michael Graff Show. Hi, it's a kite, everybody. Goofballs. How would you handle this? We could try ignoring it, sir. I see. Pretend nothing has happened and hope everything turns out all right in the morning. Just a thought, sir. I've considered that. Warning. The following broadcast is presented without the use of talking points, blatant hypocrisy, or Kool-Aid. You know, it's bad when this guy has to become the voice of reason. It's the return of the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. And I am so good at my craft. I am so good at being a talk show host and being the dynamic personality that you know. I can do this show one-handed. And I am, sort of. I'll explain in a bit. Uh, welcome in. It's another edition of the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. And here we are. It is Friday, the... Oh my God, what is today? The 14th of January, 2011. You'd think I'm on drugs, but all I'm on is ibuprofen. All right, uh, the contact information for the program, mike at kmgx.com. That is our email address. It is mike at kmgx.com. That's also our PayPal address for your generous contributions to this program. Again, uh, mike at kmgx.com. Everything else related to this program can be found at the one, the only, and the all-new and improved michaelgroff.com. That's where really good stuff is posted. That's where really cool things happen. You know it. You love it. It's the all-new and improved and exciting michaelgroff.com. All right, um... While you're there, you can check out all the uh, latest shows that are posted. You can comment on uh, anything, uh, p- shows past and present. We're still working on getting a few. There's just a few more episodes that are not up in the queue yet. Uh, I would have already had them up there, but uh, I sustained a bit of an injury <laughs> about 24 hours ago. And um, it's so weird. It's just a testament to how fragile our bodies really are. So last night, I uh, I was out for a little while. I come home and I'm just sitting here. And I, you know what happens is, well, I'm here late at night sometimes. Uh, just in the studio, I'm just like writing up stuff. I was doing some work, and then I I put on some music and I I get kind of sleepy. And and sometimes I'll uh, I'll just put my head. I'll lean my head on my hands, or I'll I'll just put my head down for a second. Sometimes I lean back and I just fall asleep in the chair. So last night I fell asleep here at the desk. I don't know exactly the scenario or how it happened, but I fell asleep on my arm, on my hand or something for about 10 minutes, maybe. Maybe at the most. 
And so what happened was I, I fell asleep, and, and when I woke up, you know, you have that feeling like your your arm, your hand is asleep. And uh, it, it, the feeling sort of came back, but it didn't come all the way back. And my hand, for all intents and purposes, I had like limp wrist. Like I couldn't, I could sort of move my fingers, but I couldn't really, my wrist just kept staying in sort of the, the down position. Like if you put your, if you put your arm parallel to the ground, your wrist in a natural resting motion is just going to, it's going to be limp. It's just going to, you know, hang down toward the ground. Well, of course you can move it so that it faces, so that it's also parallel with the ground or even move it up at a, at a 90 degree angle. So it's perpendicular with the ground. Well, I couldn't do that. I could only move it up about, I don't know, a little bit. And uh, so my my whole hand was basically uh, dead. My whole my whole hand. I mean, kinda. Um, I couldn't grip anything. I could not so much as um, I couldn't so much as really move things with it. Really, I could grab stuff if I sort of backhand grabbed it, like a hooking motion kind of. But I, I I couldn't really pick up anything. And even now, as I sit here, it's really weak. So, yeah, what happened was, so I, as I go through the day, I'm like, well, gee, it's got to get better. An hour goes by, two, three, four, five, six hours. This happened at like midnight. So uh, a whole 10, 12, 14, 16 hours go by, and it's still pretty much the same. So I, I, I couldn't do anything. Like I, I can't type because you can't, I couldn't even lift my fingers enough to stri- you know, move them on the keyboard and uh, even moving the mouse, it was just way too much. So I was taking ibuprofen. I was taking, uh, I was, uh, which, you know, I don't like to do. I don't like to take any pills whatsoever. But uh, I, I pretty much had to. I figured maybe an anti-inflammatory. I put some ice on it. Um, I'm sitting here thinking, well, maybe I should go to the emergency room. Maybe I should have somebody take me to the hospital. Well, the, nobody's around to take me to the hospital. So I, I was like, well, I guess I'm just sort of stuck here. So I... <laughs> I just wound up dozing off and I, I stayed in bed most of the day, felt completely unproductive. I just wanted to finish putting up all the old shows. It was really, really weird, the, the whole thing. So after my little nap here, uh, I got up and, and uh, I was speaking with the, uh, with the goddess of the web and uh, we were just talking and I said, well... I guess maybe I should do a show. And of course, I, I got a lot of encouragement uh, there to do so. So now I'm here. I did show prep. My, my hand is a little bit better. I can move it around at least a little bit. Um, I can move my fingers a little. It, it kind of, I'm getting a little bit of a, almost a burning sensation in my hand, meaning I think the the feeling's coming back. And that was the other weird thing. So from about, the middle of my thumb on my right hand back around to the back of my hand and then kind of moving in a circle toward my middle finger and then up to about the middle knuckle on my index finger, that, that little circle area, which is about what? The size of a silver dollar, maybe a little bit more. That whole area has been semi-numb all day and it still kind of is, but I can start to sense like the pins and needles, you know, of something like waking up. So as I'm sitting here, I've, I'm I'm moving very slowly. So if the podcast sounds a little weird, and if everything sounds a little weird, and uh, it's just because I'm really doing this mostly one handed. 
My other hand is just kind of on an ice pack back and forth, and I'm just sort of resting my arm. I really probably shouldn't even be doing this show. I really probably shouldn't be typing. I shouldn't be doing any of that. I should really just rest my arm. I'm sure a doctor would tell me that. But screw what a doctor would tell me. And uh, this is how dedicated I am. I'm willing to sacrifice my right hand for this show. I am telling you right now. And that's the other thing. Um, People think they're so clever. You can't believe. So I've told several people about this today. And every single person that I told about this made a masturbation joke. At least one. Everyone. And everybody was pretty much indifferent to it. They're like, oh, well, that kind of sucks. Or, gee, well, uh, too bad. <laughs> like, it's like, well, okay, well, why don't you cut off your right hand and see how effective you are? It's so weird. It just, it just shows how dependent we really are, how fragile we really are. I felt kind of helpless. Like, even something as simple as pouring a cup of coffee, you, I, I hold the, I hold the cup with my left hand and I pour with my right hand. So. Obviously, I couldn't even pick up the carafe to pour a cup of coffee because, well, at least not with my right hand because it was just too heavy. That's the thing. Like, I pick up any object and it, my wrist, it feels like my wrist is going to fall off. My whole uh, hand, like, leans and quivers and it just can't hold the object. It just can't maintain a grip on the object. So, that was really, really weird. So I'm sort of doing this show almost with one hand tied behind my back. What is it that, uh, what is it that Limbaugh says? Ladies and gentlemen, doing half the, doing my show with half my brain uh, tied behind my back just to make it fair. Ladies and gentlemen, is what I'm doing at the moment. So yeah, I'm doing the same. I'm, I've got a, got a hand essentially tied behind my back, but here I am. All right, uh, on that note, let me just give you this. This is kind of a cool story to start out the show. You think I have it bad, which I really don't compared to this guy. So there's a guy in the UK. There's a British guy. His heart stops. They find this guy lying in the street in minus 10 degrees Celsius weather. And so what is that? About uh, 16, 14 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's friggin' cold. They find this guy. He's unconscious. His heart has stopped. And doctors are able to revive this guy after his heart had stopped for three and a half hours. Here's the story. Engineer Aaron Basin, 53, was found lying unconscious in uh, Croydon, South London in December in temperatures of minus 10 degrees Celsius after falling in the street and hitting his head. He was rushed to the hospital. He uh, suffered cardiac arrest. Luckily, he had been taken to the Croydon University Hospital where two of the UK's top experts were. Uh, these guys, uh, Dr. Nigel uh, Ruganoff and Dr. Russell Metcalf-Smith. So they put Basin on some new uh, CPR machine called Autopulse where it performed 20,000 life-saving chest compressions to keep his heart and his lungs going. Quote, he was pretty much dead and he had no pulse or a heartbeat for three and a half hours, so it is amazing that we got him back. I've not seen anything like it in 15 years in the emergency room. Basin said, quote, I should be dead. I can't believe they kept me alive for so long. It's a miracle. They are amazing people, and I know I am very, very lucky. Well, see, there's a, there's a positive, uplifting story to start out the show. Guy's heart stopped beating for three and a half hours. 
This machine keeps him alive. There you go. It's a cool story. All right, now, what's not a cool story, and the continuing saga of this Jared Loftner, more and more information comes out about this guy every day, and it's it's so amazing how twisted this kid really was and how really whacked out and everything. And we find out more and more, and, and they've even constructed a timeline, but here's the latest. I don't know if any of you have heard this yet. So investigators have discovered that Jared Loeffner appeared to pull a frantic all-nighter before the shooting spree on Saturday. And this is, of course, they've put all this together now on the day that uh, Justice John Roll uh, was laid to rest at a funeral. Really sad. Just so sad. But the night before the rampage, authorities say uh, Loeffner dropped off uh, a, a roll of 35-millimeter film at a drugstore. First of all, that's how you know the guy was insane anyway. Who actually uses film anymore? <laughs> that's, that's how you knew this guy was crazy. But no, it's what was on the film that was really insane. You, you kind of figure that there has got to be something weird. So here's the thing. So there's these photos... He took photos of himself posing with the Glock that he later used to kill everybody with. So he took pictures with this Glock, the pistol, and he was wearing a red G-string. Authorities say that he picked up the film uh, the day of the shooting at a Walgreens in the same strip mall where he would later open fire, injuring 18, killing six people, including uh, Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords. So, yeah, he's holding the gun uh, near his crotch in, in several of the pictures. In others, he was uh, holding the gun near his ass, like he was just uh, posing with the gun, you know, at his buttocks and everything, and he's doing these various poses. He's, he's voguing. He's voguing for the camera with these uh, pictures of the Glock and he wearing a G-string. So now they have the timeline. They've sort of figured out the timeline of what this guy was up to. See, this just shows you this guy was really, really sick. I mean, if you saw that, if you were a guy developing this film at the Walgreens and you saw that, wouldn't you just kind of think, wow, what a sick ass? Oh, yeah. Oh, but before we get to the timeline, let me just show you something else. On September 23rd, they found this video. They found this video from September 23rd of... Uh, Loffner, he was the narrator on this video. Um, he was walking around the campus, this junior college that he attended for five years, by the way. He was walking around the junior college and he narrates this video and he's pointing it to the various, uh, various buildings. He says, quote, this is the school that I go to. This is, my, this is my genocide school where I'm going to be homeless because of the school. Then the timeline from last weekend. Okay. So Loeffner checks into a Motel 6 after midnight, all right? He returned to the Walgreens to pick up his photos and uh, make another purchase at 2.19 a.m. At 4.12 a.m., he posted a bulletin on his MySpace account titled, Goodbye Friends. That contained one of the photographs uh, that he took from the, uh, from the Walgreens, which is one uh, just showing the gun. Just after 6 a.m., he made another purchase at a Walmart and a Circle K, which is a convenience store here in the area. 
At 7.04, he tried to buy ammunition at one of the Walmarts. But the problem was they wouldn't sell it to him. Even they figured this guy was creepy, so they wouldn't sell him ammo. Now, I understand the Walmarts uh, here in Phoenix, by the way, they don't sell ammunition anymore. They don't even sell rifles anymore. They don't sell guns at our Walmarts. As I'm being told anyway, from what I'm told by everybody, they don't sell ammo anymore at the Walmarts here in Phoenix. But in Tucson, I guess they did. So he went to a Walmart. He tried to buy some ammunition and they said, um, you're too weird. Uh, we're not going to sell it to you. So he went to another Walmart and they did, of course. He left, um, went to, yeah, went to another Walmart at 727 a.m. He bought bullets and a black diaper bag. Shortly after that, he was stopped by an officer at a red light. Uh, apparently, he, he ran the light. He returned home. His father confronted him about what was in the diaper bag. So then he fled on foot. He went to a Circle K where a cab picked him up and took him to the Safeway supermarket. 16 minutes elapsed before the time that he entered the Safeway and the time where the shots began to ring out. The shooting injured 13. Uh, it emerged Friday that the FBI had a video of the episode taken from the surveillance camera of the businesses in the shopping mall, according to a law enforcement official who was uh, not authorized to speak officially because of the investigation that was ongoing. The investigation said that authorities were hoping that the video would not have to be used at Mr. Loeffner's trial because it would probably be painful for the families of the victims. The suspected target of Loeffner's attack, Gabrielle Giffords, by the way, she continues to do better. Now she's opening her eyes. She's responding. She's uh, performing more complex functions, which after getting shot in the head is amazing that she's performing any functions whatsoever. The fact that this woman is, is breathing, the fact that this woman is even uh, alive at all and isn't a total vegetable is remarkable. And that was the best part of the president's speech on Wednesday night, which we really didn't get to talk about because while we were doing the podcast, he was giving the speech on Wednesday. So it was a... Um, it's uh, that's the timeline that they constructed. This guy is just this is crazy. Clearly. All right. What else? Uh, quote, we couldn't have hoped for any better improvement than we're seeing right now, uh, given the severity of her injury, said Dr. G. Michael Lamole, chief of the neurosurgery at University Medical Hospital in Tucson. Still. Doctors continued to express caution, saying that for now uh, they would upgrade Miss Giffords from critical condition or when they would upgrade her from critical condition. But still, very good news. She's alive. She's doing better. She seems to be showing uh, signs of improvement. And that is very, very fortunate. You know, the thing that's really bad about all of this, though, the thing that just continues to amaze me is... The president gave his speech on Wednesday night. And, you know, I'm not even really going to criticize the president's speech much. I'm only going to say the only thing I will say about it that I think made me a little uneasy was the fact that he talked about the rhetoric that's building up. And he sort of made it. Uh, he is correct in a sense. But I, I don't know. I really didn't really want him to go there. I, but. It was a good speech. It was, I can't really fault the president. Uh, he talked about Gabrielle Giffords opening her eyes. 
He talked about the emotion of the moment. He talked about uh, America needs to stop pointing the fingers. We need to come together. And, you know, that's a great message. And I completely concur. Naturally, of course, it is hypocritical for the president to say that because he was the same guy that has also been involved in some pretty tough rhetoric. I mean, he was the guy that said, if they bring a knife, we'll bring a gun. We remember that. He has been involved in some pretty harsh rhetoric as well. But, I mean, that was the right thing to say, and I give the president uh, his due and uh, the props for putting it out there. Unfortunately, apparently, his base, his party, uh, didn't listen, and neither did the people on the right. And the rhetoric just continues unabated. So the next day, I turn on the Tom Hartman program. He's a progressive talk show host. And not only is the rhetoric not calming down, but it's being ramped up again on both sides. But it is really being ramped up over there. When I, I, You will not believe this. It's one thing if we want to have a debate about the rhetoric in this country. It's another thing if we want to talk about that maybe both sides are getting a little out of hand and maybe we should really tone down the nature of the negative campaign ads, the nature of attacks where we make it personal against people who differ from our own ideological viewpoints. But when a talk show host gets on the air and compares Sarah Palin to Osama bin Laden, that's when the rhetoric has gone too far. And that is exactly what happened yesterday morning on Tom Hartman's program. Tom Hartman, the progressive radio host, came on and called uh, conservatives, particularly Sarah Palin, a stochastic terrorist, saying that she engages in the tactic of stochastic terrorism, which is the exact same thing that Osama bin Laden does, i.e. putting out a video where you explicitly or implicitly uh, call to action, and by call to action, call to violent action, uh, certain sleeper cell terrorists, which is what Osama bin Laden does. He, he says things in code. His, his is much more implicit where you say things in code to try and activate lone wolves, where you try to activate violence, where you try to incite people to do things uh, that are not just politically motivated, but things that are terrorist-related, which is what Jared Loeffner is. So Tom Hartman had the unmitigated gall. He came out and had the audacity to compare Sarah Palin to Osama bin Laden under the umbrella of stochastic terrorism. And of course, he then talks about how on the right, there's so many people that listen to Rush Limbaugh and Glenn Beck and Sean Hannity and all these other shows, and those people are engaging in such inflammatory rhetoric. And they're saying things that ignite people and anger people. Well, don't you think that then if you're doing a radio show where you compare... Sarah Palin to Osama bin Laden and you call them both a stochastic terrorist. Don't you think that is going to incite people? Don't you think that's going to enrage and inflame people? Do you really think that's helping the discourse when you compare uh, Sarah Palin, the one-time governor of Alaska and vice presidential hopeful, and a woman who has made some dumb comments, and a woman who certainly I have criticized on this program before uh, many times, but you're going to compare her to the mastermind behind the September 11th terror attacks? 
You're going to compare her and her message and rhetoric to a guy that calls anyone who disagrees with his basic ideologies and an infidel and that they should all be killed? You're going to honestly make a comparison between Osama bin Laden and Sarah Palin. And you somehow think that you're you're being very clever because you you put it under the guise of stochastic terrorism and see it's this kind of inflammatory rhetoric. You're pointing the finger at the other side saying, see, see what they're doing? Look at this rhetoric that they're putting out there. Look at how angry they are. Look at how bad these people are, these conservatives, and they have such control of the media, and they get on their mass media outlet, and they incite people, and they tell them lies, and they make these, these comparisons, and then you do the exact same thing. But of course, you couch it in very nice $5 words. You put it together in such a way that you don't get on the air and scream about it, but you just get on the air and you, you very nonchalant say, well, you know, as, as almost as if it's a point of fact that, well, I believe, uh, in my opinion, that Sarah Palin uh, is engaging in stochastic terrorism. Look it up. You'll see. That's exactly what she's doing. Listen to this video. I'm sorry, but Sarah Palin on her video says that her intention was to not inside people to violence, but to get them to bring it on at the ballot box. Okay. If you want to criticize her, her uh, crosshairs and all that stuff on her campaign ads where she has different crosshairs in different parts of the country with people that she's targeting. But I hate to tell you this, but you know, that tough rhetoric has been going on in this country for 235 years. We used to have senators, members of uh, the House, uh, presidential candidates that would engage in a duel, for God's sake. Tough rhetoric has been going on in this country for 235 years. This is not something brand new. And violence against elected officials is nothing brand new either, as we've given you many examples on this show already. And we've given you examples on this show already of both the left and the right engaging in very angry rhetoric. I mean, we played those clips of Mike Malloy the other day. That guy's crazy. I mean, to say that kind of stuff on the air, where you wish people death and you wish that people on the right would commit suicide, simply because you disagree with their philosophy, simply because you feel that what they're doing is bad for the country, so you wish they would commit suicide. I mean, that's pretty horrible, don't you think? I mean, Mr. Hartman, is that not stochastic terrorism? It seems like it to me. So the point in all this is pretty simple. The point in all this is that, again, if you believe in what the president has to say, then, yes, maybe you ought to dial down the rhetoric. And everybody ought to dial down the rhetoric. But you see, this country is based on passion. It is based on debate. And sometimes that debate is very contentious. And it has been going on since the dawn of this nation. And it continues unabated. And here's the thing that's really weird about all of this. So, you know, we talk about, uh, we talk about the issue of uh, who's to blame, what's to blame. And again, it's just so weird that very few people are actually blaming Jared Loeffner, the guy that did it. And we are having an overreaction in this country now where people want to go after guns. They want to go after magazines. They want to go after all this. They talk about Arizona's laws. 
So, as you know, I have an interest in law. And I can tell you this because, well, I, I just, I happen to know that in the state of Arizona, you think that we have such unrestrictive gun laws, and in some ways we do. You don't have to have a permit to carry a concealed weapon in Arizona. You can get a, a, a gun pretty easily in this state with pretty much without a background check. You purchase a gun at a gun show with zero background check. I mean, you, literally, you just you put the cash down, you walk out with the gun. It's that simple. But do you know in this state that if you commit a crime, such as burglary, for example, and you have a gun on your person, let's say you don't even pull the gun out, they don't... If you have a gun in your car and you commit a burglary and then you leave the scene of the crime and you, you, you think you're going to get away and the police bust you and they find that gun in your car, do you know that that's an automatic, that is a mandatory five-year sentence? If you commit a robbery with a weapon, a mandatory five-year sentence and then the judge can tack on additional time. That is among the toughest laws in the country. Mandatory five-year sentence. So uh, just thought I would throw that out there for those of you that think that we have the, these really insanely simple and non-stringent gun laws. Uh, yeah, think again. If you commit a crime with a gun in this state, you are really up the creek. As for the issue of guns... People again saying we need to, this, the, why do people need, why do you need a, a, a Glock with a 30 round magazine? Why do you need an extended clip on a Glock 19 or a Glock 26? Why, why do you need this? Why does anybody need a magazine with 30 rounds in it? Let me a answer that question um, in a couple of different ways. Number one, if you're target shooting, you don't want to reload uh, as often. Maybe that's one reason. Let's say you're sitting in your home, minding your own business. You're just leisurely watching TV and then a gang of people try to break into your house. And you happen to have your Glock 19 pistol. Or you happen to have whatever. Wouldn't you rather have 30 rounds than say 12 or 17? Wouldn't you rather? Actually, I think 31 you can have in a, in a Glock 19. If you have the 30-round mag plus the bullet in the chamber, 31 rounds. If I had five guys, I want all the bullets I possibly can have. You know, I want to make sure that I'm ready to go because these guys are going to come in. And you know what? If you restrict the gun laws, I'm going to tell you, the people that break into your house and they wish to do you harm, they don't care that you have a restriction on how many bullets you can have in a magazine. They don't give a crap. They don't care. They're criminals. They don't care. So a law-abiding citizen has to pay the price because people have an overreaction to a very, very tragic situation. And to that point, I want to say one more thing. So the despicable people of the Westboro Baptist Church, what is that guy's name? Fred Phelps? Is that the guy that runs that thing? That Westboro Baptist Church? Those are, the, those are the people that God hates fags people. Those are the disgusting human beings that were, that were here. They're going to protest the, the funeral of, uh, of the judge. They protest at the funeral of the nine-year-old girl. These are sick people. 
They are, I don't even want to say ultra-religious. They're just stupidly religious. They are insanos. And again, I don't even know how many members they have in that church. What, 200, if that. But these are people that show up at the soldiers' funerals, funerals for the soldiers that have fought in Iraq and Afghanistan. They show up at this nine-year-old girl's funeral. At least they try to. So in this state, what we did to try and prevent them from doing so, in a, in a unanimous bipartisan resolution, this state, uh, the, the state uh, legislature passed a bill, which Governor Jan Brewer signed, that says um, you have to stay 300 feet away from any funeral service. That includes a funeral procession, blah, blah, blah. And you cannot, uh, and you have to do that for an hour before, during, and an hour after the funeral service. Now, I agree with the sentiment and and I agree with the thought of the legislature. It was unanimous. One guy in our state legislature, uh, Republican Ron Gould, said that he would sign the measure, of course, but he said that he had a problem with a reactionary sort of piece of legislation where we are uh, limiting free speech. He, As he says, even idiots have the right to protest and he is correct and this is what I said on the show the other day I always am a little bit afraid of passing legislation for individual cases like this for individual people again I want to emphasize how much I detest the people from that Westboro Baptist Church I've wanted to have those people on the show for a long time those people are they're horrible disgusting human beings they are They called upon other people to kill. They thought that this guy, this Jared Loftner, they thought that he was a a, a messenger from God or something like that. They thought that. This guy is sick. Really. We had to find, he he has a YouTube uh, video of it, by the way, of his thoughts. So I I cannot emphasize enough how much I, I find those people to be deplorable and disgusting. And if they protested uh, uh, one of my family members, uh, I would probably go to jail. I'm pretty sure of it. So I'm just going to put that out there right now because there's nothing lower than that. I think that's almost as disgusting as what Jared Loftner did. The fact that here's this poor nine-year-old little girl. not a, She just wanted to see what government was like. She was born on 9-11. She just had an interest in government. She was, uh, uh, from all accounts, the sweetest girl. And you protest her funeral and you applaud the fact that she was, she was killed because she was Catholic and you see Catholicism as a cult. And this is, this is your, your motivation. This is your, your credo, really? But at the same time, as a strict believer in the Constitution of the United States, I don't disagree with the legislation in so much as it's fine. I mean, the state of Ohio has a similar measure. I just am afraid of reactionary legislation 
just like I'm afraid of reactionary legislation, you know, with gun restrictions, I'm afraid of denying people, even the dumbest people, even the most disgusting human beings in our society. I'm afraid of what happens when we start passing laws because we are emotional, because we are upset at how despicable these people are. And I know that the Sixth Circuit Court or something like that, the maybe the Fifth is the Fifth Circuit Court, one of these uh, circuit courts of appeals upheld Ohio's legislation, which is very similar to Arizona's three, 300 feet away, uh, an hour before and an hour after, I think. Um, so I, I'm, I don't have a, I, I'm pretty sure that it, it would survive a legal challenge but I just do feel uneasy. And I know that it's probably not a... And again, I'm not defending. I'm not saying that uh, I'd want them at, at my funeral or at the funeral of, 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 of a nine-year-old girl. I don't want them there at all. And if the families of this little girl and if, if other people join together and put up a, a blockade so that they can't get through, I have no problem with that either. My only concern is when we start legislating based on emotion. I think that's my point here. And that is where it can get uneasy. That's what I'm concerned about. But I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to call my legislator in this state and say, boy, I can't believe you guys passed that. No, I'm not saying that. I just, I'm just a little uneasy. That's all. Um, see, my theory is if God exists, uh, he would smite, uh, this Westboro Baptist church. He would hit it with an asteroid. That would be nice. The fact that that little girl is dead and those people are alive. That's what makes me sick. The fact that a federal judge is killed and those people are alive to protest it. That's, that's the inequity. That's the unfairness of life right there. See, I'm allowed to be emotional about this issue. I'm not a legislature. I, you know, I'm not a legislative body. Just a guy doing a show, having an opinion. Still. Yeah, I'd love to have those. Uh, I'd love to have one of those people on my show. I really would. I would. I mean, part of me doesn't even want to give them a forum. But part of me is just morbidly curious about their philosophy we should probably take a break mike at kmgx.com that is our email address it is mike at kmgx.com michael graf show aol instant messenger it's m-i-c-h-a-e-l-g-r-o-f-f show on aol instant messenger uh the all new and improved michaelgraf.com that's the place to go for everything that is michael graf related it is new, it is improved, it is fantastic. Doing the show one-handed. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. Pain without love, pain. I can't get enough pain. I like it rough, cause I'd rather feel pain than nothing at all. Tonight will be the night that I 
back with segment number two. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show on a Friday. Well, technically, we're bleeding over into Saturday. It's January 14th, 2011. Mike at KMGX.com, our email and PayPal address. That is Mike at KMGX.com. You can always send your generous contributions to that PayPal address. We do appreciate it. A dollar, five dollars, a hundred dollars, whatever. It's uh, it's all good with us. If uh, you have, and I'll put this out on the air too, as we've been uh, doing so. Uh, if you're interested in uh, co-hosting the program, or maybe you'd like to actually host a best of edition of the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. We're always looking for that. Uh, all you have to do is message me or uh, send me an email at mike at kmgx.com. Message me on AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Groff Show, the screen name. Or, of course, uh, well, those are the best ways to do it. Just do it that way. So we would uh, appreciate that. Uh, certainly looking for that uh, sort of uh, stuff. Um, the thing that we do require if you're going to uh, host this program... Uh, I don't trust anybody enough to uh, have them come in this uh, in this room. Um, it's just, uh, um, you know, I mean, unless I actually know you. <laughs> yeah, it could be like that time where a listener actually showed up at my house. I've told this story on the air before. Years ago, there was a guy that listened to my show. Uh, he was uh, in Nebraska. Not our official Nebraska ambassador to the zip code famous Michael Graff show. I'm talking about this other guy. This guy, he was... Really a nice guy and regular sort of contributor to the show and everything. Anyway, so what happened was one time this guy, uh, he said to me once, uh, a, a passing comedy goes, oh yeah, you know, maybe in a couple of months I'll be heading through the Southwest. I'll look you up while I'm in Phoenix. I'm like, okay. You know, people say that kind of thing all the time. And I don't know. It's one of those things that you say to people that you don't really mean, I guess. So... Next thing I know, one day I'm sitting here. It's probably nine o'clock in the morning. There's a knock at my door and I open the door and he goes, he goes, are you Michael Graff? And I said, uh, yeah, he goes, Hey man, it's he gave his name from Nebraska. You know, I listen to your show and, uh, I was kind of weirded out in a way. Like I was like, Oh, Hey man, <laughs> how's it going? <laughs> Where's my gun? Hey man, what's up? What's, what's doing, man? So, uh, you know, and he was the sweetest, he was a really nice guy. He was clearly nervous. So I, I, I let him in. Um, I, you know, I, uh, I, I kept an eye on him, but <laughs> I let him in. It was cool. It was a, a fine enough experience and, um, showed him around. I think he was uh, surprisingly unimpressed with the uh, with the studio facility. Of course, this was a while back when it was a lot more simple than what it is now. There, there was only about three computers in here, or two maybe, versus uh, like 74. And uh, there was a lot less equipment uh, generating thousands of degrees worth of heat. Yeah, guy uh, shows up at my house. That was the only time that a listener just completely... Unannounced, just out of nowhere, just somebody just randomly just shows up at my house. I never gave him my address. I never told, but I mean, it's not like you can't just look me up. I'm a pretty public person, I suppose. But still, it was just kind of weird. I just, I was a little bit, I was, I was a little creeped out by the whole <laughs> deal. Oh, well. 
So yeah, um, if if you want to co-host the show and you've got Skype or you have a means of voice communication, uh, calling in is fine too. Although having a co-host on the phone kind of sounds lame. We used to take phone calls, and that's cool. Phone calls are kind of cool. Uh, if you want to just sit in for for a little while on the phone for a few minutes or whatever, that's fine. But a, a co-host that's on the show, that's just lame. So yes, if you want to co-host, like we've had other people co-host the show before, uh, certainly that's fine. Or a, uh, if you want to actually host a best of edition of the show where you get to intro all the various segments and uh, do talk-ups for that. Also cool if you want to send in a little demo of what you sound like and how might uh, how you might contribute or what you might have to say. That's the other thing is once in a while I'll get a message from somebody and they'll say, yeah, I want a co-host. And I'll say, okay. And they'll say, uh, so uh, what do I do? Well, um, you co-host, you uh, interject comments. Uh, well, what's your, what are we going to talk about? And I go, well, We'll find out, you know, the day that we do the show. It's one of those things. The show isn't so scripted where I, I say, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about this. And then I want you to jump in at this point and say this. That's not the kind of radio I do. It's um, very sort of a spontaneous stream of consciousness kind of thing where whatever I'm thinking about is just what pours out of the microphone. It's a very real way of doing a show. It's not this contrived BS kind of a thing where uh, people's all right. Uh, segment number one for three minutes and twelve seconds. We're going to talk about uh, this uh, story, and then for another uh, ten minutes, we're going to do a Jared Loftner rant, and then we're going to talk about uh, the status of our legal system for another four minutes and eight seconds. You know, that's not what goes on. That's not how I like to do a show. I, I hate shows that are that contrived and that sort of scripted. It's just it, it has a very sort of unreal feeling to it. So, you know, and some people would be great co-hosts and some people probably wouldn't. You know, you've got to have a little chemistry. You've got to have a little give and take, got a little, a little back and forth sort of thing. So if you want to co-host, you have Skype, uh, you have a real microphone, not something. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, where you sound like that. So uh, we do have some very uh, sort of basic requirements. I know we've sort of violated those requirements in the past a couple of times, but uh, uh, no longer. So and uh, also I know, uh, you know, other people have expressed interest in co-hosting the show. So we're always looking for people and it's not just one person, uh, anybody that wants to co-host that has a pulse and has uh, something to say and willing to give anything a try you know what i'm saying so there you go uh, we're always putting that out there and uh, we'll also announce that on the site as well all right let's see no that's it i think we can go home <laughs> now there's a lot more stuff to talk about you know facebook is really one of these things i gotta tell you things have changed so much about our society just in the time from when i was in elementary school until now Hell, from the time I was in high school until now, for over the last, what was that? What would that be? About 18 years, 19 years. Things have changed so much. The very way that people interact, it used to be people had a conversation. Maybe people would talk on the phone. Um, a few people had cell phones when I was in high school. But generally speaking, that was uh, that was a rich kid sort of thing. Or And they would carry around these brick cell phones, you know, these things that they literally, it was, it was the size of a brick and it was about as heavy as a brick. And uh, they had about, you know, two seconds of charge in them as well. 
And so most people talked on the phone or you interacted in person. And if there was bullying that went on in school, guys usually just beat up other guys, you know, and girls, if they were going to, sometimes girls would get into a fight, a little cat fight or something, but most of the time it was just a verbal match or sometimes they'd, they'd, um, you know, write nasty crap about each other and they'd gossip about each other. You know how that goes. That was the way it was. Well, nowadays it's totally different. Here's a story. So these two girls in Florida are now facing cyber stalking charges after they allegedly created a fake Facebook profile in the name of a fellow classmate. Not only did they do that, though, but they placed a bunch of obscene pictures of that classmate up on the Facebook page, including one showing their classmate their their classmate's head atop a nude prepubescent girl's body. When investigators at the Lee County Sheriff's Office last month interviewed one of the girls, Taylor Wynn, a 16-year-old, she admitted to creating two Facebook profile pages that are fake as a, quote, joke against this girl because she thought it was funny. Wynn said that she was once friends with the unnamed victim, but they don't like each other anymore. She said something mean, so I don't like her anymore. So I'm going to so I'm going to make a Facebook picture where I show uh, a Facebook profile where I, I show her head atop some other girl's body. Well, that wasn't the worst thing that they did, though. According to the police, there's another girl that was involved in this as well. Her name was uh, Mackenzie Barker, a 15 year old. She created an image showing the victim's head atop the naked body and then reportedly also cropped a photo of an adult male's erect penis by the victim's face. Wynn and Barker, who are pictured in the uh, story here, a couple of just teenage girls, regular looking teenage girls, they, they were arrested, charged with a felony count of aggressive stalking of a minor under the age of 16. The duo attends Estero High School along with the victim, who told a deputy that she had been subjected to, quote, numerous incidents of teasing and ridicule as a result of the Facebook page. One of the fake pages, which has 181 friends, included an assortment of disparaging comments, including about me, that said, quote, as you may know, I am a huge whore. I love dick so much. These girls thought that it was a joke. They thought that would be funny to make fun of another another kid by putting up a, a profile page. You know, that girl, is her name is going to be forever tarnished on the web. See, now, this is the thing. Again, if I were an attorney, I would be flocking to the victim's house. I would be beelining it to the victim's house. I would sue these parents for everything that they owned. Their house, well, they're probably white trash. So I would be suing them for their double wide. I would be suing them for their bottle of of, of uh, Jack Daniels. I would be suing them for the five teeth that are in their head. And I got to tell you something. You're going to win. This is You talk about an amazing case against somebody. You do this kind of crap. You have forever ruined this poor girl's reputation. It's always going to be on the internet. You know, those web crawl uh, bots that are out there, like archive.org and stuff that, that uh, go around and, they, and they, they archive all this stuff. Well, that's always going to be out there. You write crap like that, uh, I'm a huge whore, you know, like that kind of stuff. 
You put up a picture of of this person with a with a with some guy's junk by her face. What a horrible thing to do to somebody. See, this is the difference between when I was a kid and now. If you picked on somebody, you, you called them a name, you made fun of them, you teased them a little bit. There was one kid in our class who um, he one time made a, a joke about a Jewish guy, and we called him anti-Semitic for like four years. But when people would ask us, is he really anti-Semitic? We go, no, we're just busting his balls. We never thought to go online, and the internet was, you know, just barely anything. We never thought to go online and, and post that kind of crap. We never thought the worst you would do is just tease each other. And it was teasing. and It was clearly teasing. Yeah, some people beat each other up. Okay, you know, that kind of crap went on. And that still goes on now. But cyber stalking, cyber bullying is a lot worse because it's forever out there. It forever can tarnish somebody's name. And, you know, some people can say, well, you know, grow up, get a life. Who cares? Uh, it's just it's just Facebook. Yeah, it's a it's Facebook, which has 300 million users. And again, it's permanently out there. See, what I would do is, is I would then turn around and take these two girls who now they their effigy is forever on the Internet as committing a felony. But that's not enough for me. If they had Facebook pages, I would require them to post on their Facebook page that they're felons. Or over their picture, just put a big stripe that says felon. In fact, I would, no, you know, I wouldn't even do that. I wouldn't even glorify it. If I were a judge, I would actually bar them from ever using a computer. Except if they, you know, had a job. But then again, girls like this, the only kind of job they're ever going to have that requires them to use a computer is probably at McDonald's. Where they have to punch in, you know, large fry, number 13, with a Coke. Probably about it. I'm told that Facebook isn't archived, though. Well, still, it's bad enough. It's just, it's something that people are still going to know that this happened. I would sue them for everything they had. This is one case where I think a, uh, a lawsuit for defamation of character. I mean, it's totally appropriate. We have global warming news. Story about floods going on in, in Brazil. And of course, um, well, as you know, I'm surprised that Glenn Beck isn't being blamed for the floods in Brazil. Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh. I'm surprised that right-wing talk radio isn't being blamed for the floods that are currently happening in Israel, uh, in uh, Brazil, rather, where uh, dozens of people are dead, uh, homes damaged, destroyed, uh, washed away, relentless rainfall. Um, actually, let's see here. Uh, hundreds have been injured or killed, many more missing, uh, property lost as a result of the floods that are going on in Brazil. Also, just insane snowstorms hitting the east coast of the United States. Uh, I was talking with my grandma who lives in uh, Bloomington, Minnesota, which is a suburb of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. I said it's just been constant snow. It's just been snowing all winter. It's just been an insane amount of snow. It just keeps coming. But of course... Anytime we have anomalous weather, it's the result of global warming, as you know. Even snow along the West Coast in, the, in uh, Portland and Seattle. Also, uh, OPEC. News on OPEC. They say that $100 a barrel prices are about to return again. I think, what did oil close at yesterday? Like $91, $93 a barrel, something like that. OPEC says that $100 barrel oil prices are right around the corner and to just deal with it. Matter of fact, Kuwait's oil minister, he said just that. He says it's a reality. Deal with it. Yeah, $93.46 is what uh, the price of oil closed at on Friday. 
Yeah, maybe Donald Trump has a point. We talked about it as uh, Donald Trump thinking of running for president. He says that OPEC, they just manipulate the world's economy. Every time we try to ask them to release a little bit more oil to ease uh, the world's economy, they say, yeah, you know, we don't think so. Asked by Reuters if the world's economy could stand a $100 a barrel oil price, Kuwaiti oil minister uh, Sheikh Ahmed al-Abdullah al uh, Sabah said, quote, yes, it can. Iraq's new oil minister and the head of Libya's National Oil Corporation both told Reuters that $100 barrel price was a fair price, with Qatar's minister Abdullah, Abdullah al Atiyah said that he did not o- expect OPEC to increase production in 2011. Quote, I do not expect an OPEC meeting before June because oil prices are stable. Stable, if by stable you mean going up at a regular rate, then yes. So this OPEC, these guys, they can control how much oil is on the market. Therefore, they can control the price. It's the lifeblood of the planet. And in a global downturn, as we've had for the last several years, and, you know, the part of the reason that this economic downturn happened in the first place is because oil prices were inflated to about $150 a barrel. They topped out at, what, $147 a barrel. China was buying up oil like crazy. India was buying up oil like crazy. And, of course, the United States and its demand. And these OPEC nations just continued to ratchet up the price. And here in the United States, we can't even drill for oil because we have people that are just afraid of another deep water horizon situation. And never mind that, we have oil reserves in Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, oil shale in Utah. We have a, just a ton of places, Anwar, of course. We have a ton of places that we can get oil here in this country. And because of the environmentalist movement and because of the political football that it is, we can't even drill for it here. So therefore, we don't get to affect the, the oil prices on the global market here either. That's the problem. And you know, the Gulf of Mexico, I was just reading about this uh, before the show. So in the Gulf of Mexico, Cuba, they've leased out land to other nations so that they can drill for oil. Mexico drills for oil in the Gulf of Mexico. China drills for oil in the Gulf of Mexico. And yet here in the United States, we had a federal judge that actually issued a moratorium on drilling, which has since been lifted, but we're afraid to drill out there. So what we do is we're actually allowing other nations to drill in the Gulf of Mexico, some of them right by our own shoreline. And then they take that oil that they take from our shores put it on the global market, and then resell it to us. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? What is the president? You know, this is the other thing. The other aspect of this story that's weird. So when oil prices were steadily climbing during the Bush administration, I couldn't help but notice that the media would report it all the time and that people would call on the president to do something about it. People would call on the Republicans in Congress to do something about it. They'd say, this is what happens when you have big oil people in Congress, big oil people as president, big oil people as the vice president. And now, strangely, curiously, oil prices are once again heading up toward $100 a barrel. Is anybody saying anything to the president? Is anybody uh, directing any uh, questions toward Congress? No. Of course not. Part of the hypocrisy that's out there. When asked if output would be raised, Kuwait's oil minister said, quote, no, more compliance 
more compliance. The Cairo meeting of the Organization of Arab Exporting Countries, uh, they viewed this as a moderate price. They say that non-OPEC nations such as Tunisia, Egypt, and Syria, uh, they don't expect them to increase their output. So all these nations, they're all just sitting there. They say, eh, it doesn't really matter. And you know what? If, we, if another global downturn happens, it doesn't really matter either because guess what? We have all the money and we have more oil and you're still going to need it even if the, if the economy collapses. So you guys are screwed. Ha 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 Here's a doomsday prediction. Uh, maybe we should take a break. Take a break and then we'll come back with, uh, with another apocalyptic story here. Speaking of global warming, I should have just lumped this in with the global warming news as well. Yes, more uh, sort of uh, doomsday sort of stuff, more global warming sort of stuff. Certainly, we have to get to that. Mike at KMGX.com. That is our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. MichaelGroff.com, the new and exciting place to go for everything that is Michael Groff related. Looking forward to it. You can also uh, donate to us on our site, uh, links to our contact information. You can post comments on our shows, all of that stuff. It's all up there and available at the one, the only, michaelgroff.com. Quick break, we'll come back. More coming up. segment of the zip code famous michael graff show for a friday january 14th 2011 mike at kmgx.com for email address also our paypal address for your generous contributions to this program the all new and improved michaelgraff.com that is the place to go for everything else michael graff related all of our links and stuff and contact information and biographical information and bibliography and works cited page Naked pictures of me. Uh, not quite. But everything else, it's all there at the one, the only, michaelgroff.com. Plus, you can always post your thoughts on any of our shows, listen to past and present programs. And um, we're still, yeah, there's still a couple more shows that we need to put up in the archives uh, from the last uh, year or so anyway. But 
Uh, once we have that, it'll be... Uh, then there, we're also adding new features. And if you have any suggestions for some features that you want on our site, feel free to uh, let us know. All right. Here's another one of those doomsday apocalyptic sort of stories that we do on this show from time to time. I love this kind of stuff. You know, it's the kind of thing that we used to do stories about. They'd say, uh, uh, we're losing 5% of uh, the world's rainforests every year. They've been doing those stories for like 40 years. It's like, well, the problem is, is uh, our rainforests would have all been gone in 20 years if that were true. So obviously those were sort of a hoax. But what about this? Even if humans stop producing excessive amounts of carbon dioxide by the year 2100, the lingering effects of global warming could span the next millennia. The results? By the year 3000, global warming would be more than just a hot topic. The West Antarctic ice sheet could collapse and global sea levels could rise by about 13 feet, according to a new study. Eh, who cares? I'll be dead anyway. Besides, even if I wasn't, I'm living here in Phoenix, uh, elevation about 1,200 feet above sea level. So, you know what? Screw yourselves. Using a computer model, researchers looked at uh, two scenarios. Even if humans were to stop emitting excess carbon dioxide, or if they figured out a way to completely capture it, the effects of global warming would continue to accelerate. That's because previously emitted carbon dioxide lingers in the atmosphere and uh, the oceans, unlike land, warm only gradually, according to uh, the study that researchers Sean Marshall and uh, his associate put out from the University of Calgary. Oh, it's from Canada. A number of gases contribute to global warming, among them uh, carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide. The study focused on carbon dioxide because it's the principal greenhouse gas and that it can linger in the atmosphere uh, much longer uh, than any of the others. It lingers for centuries, according to Marshall. Quote, some of the carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere this century will be there until a thousand years from now. Marshall, uh, lead researcher, the government agency Environmental Canada... His colleagues found that by the year 3000, the brunt of the changes occurred in the southern hemisphere. Not surprisingly, the 2100 scenario yielded more extreme results. In particular, the model predicted that the southern oceans, the combined South Pacific Atlantic and Indian Oceans, where the Antarctic circumpolar current resides, would warm considerably with far-reaching results. The 2100 scenario highlights... Stark differences between the northern and southern hemisphere, according to Gillette, who's another guy that participated in this study, in the north, the changes which will occur up to the year 2100, some of those will reverse normally. Uh, it will cool a little bit after 2100, and the rainfall <clears throat> in the high latitudes will tend to decrease. The biggest ongoing change is in the southern hemisphere. This is because the northern hemisphere is controlled primarily or is covered primarily by land, which warms and cools more quickly than water. Uh, after emissions drop off, warming over land is expected to decline much more rapidly, Marshall said, but not with the water, which uh, dominates the southern hemisphere. The long-term warming scene there occurs because this 
century's elevated temperature would continue to propagate into the oceans and many uh, for many centuries, blah, blah, blah. The researchers found that warming would be concentrated most the further from the equator at higher latitudes uh, and at ocean depths between 0.3 and 0.9 miles. They say that uh, the Antarctic sea ice would be lost and ocean levels around the world would rise. And you know what that means for places like Bangladesh and parts of China and the west coast of the United States and Florida and just places all over the world would have uh, numerous problems. Oh, well, it's by the year 3000. It's a study that it's an apocalyptic study. Here's the thing about that study, too, though, that that really kind of just weirds me out, too. It's like, well, all right. So they say that even if we fully stopped all carbon dioxide emissions, this is still going to happen. So why should we bother? Who cares? We're all going to be dead anyway. It doesn't matter what we do. There's no way to stop carbon dioxide emissions completely. Luckily, though, I don't necessarily believe in this crap. I just was reading a story about this uh, volcano in Sicily that's erupting, and it's throwing out more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere than every car in Europe, and yet we're somehow supposed to worry about our own carbon dioxide emissions. Yeah, what about the carbon and the sulfur and the other gaseous emissions from volcanoes? Should we tell volcanoes to stop erupting also while we're at it? Volcanoes that leave the carbon footprints? Here's a great story. This is one of those stories. In Soviet Russia, fox kills you. Now check it out. A wounded fox shot its would-be killer in Belarus by pulling the trigger on the hunter's gun as the pair scuffled after the man tried to finish the animal off with, his, with the butt of his rifle. The unnamed hunter, who had approached the fox after wounding it from a distance, was in the hospital after a leg wound well, the fox made its escape. Quote, the animal fiercely resisted uh, and in the struggle accidentally pulled the trigger with its paw. That's awesome. Fox hunting is popular in uh, the farming regions of Russia and in Poland. This guy almost got killed by a fox. That's incredible. The fox almost killed the hunter. Outfoxed, if you will. And other such puns. That is one of the greatest stories I've ever heard. The old adage in news writing is, um, not news, dog bites man, news, man bites dog. Man shoots fox, not news. Fox shoots man, news. You know, we need to tone down this rhetoric between humans and animals. It's clearly getting out of hand. Um, obviously, uh, there's just there's way too much uh, high-strung rhetoric on uh, the, this, uh, both sides of the hunting issue. And uh, I got to tell you, it, this was only a matter of time before a fox would get carried away and shoot somebody. And you know, I blame the hunters. I blame guns. And frankly, I blame Glenn Beck for this incident. It is all his fault. This violence that's stepping up in the animal community is outrageous. It's a result of violent video games, cartoons, clearly. <laughs> All right. That's it. We're out of here. Mike at KMGX.com. That is our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. It's also our PayPal address. 
is donate to this program. AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Groff show the screen. I just read something on Messenger that made me laugh. A minute ago. Uh, EFNet IRC, you can always join us there, the Channel Net Radio. The new and improved MichaelGroff.com is the place to go. You can always post on any of our shows, our comments. We're going to also have some blogs up there. We're going to get uh, the goddess of web. Hopefully, we'll uh, offer up some uh, contributions, some writings of, of her own. And hopefully, you will do the same as well. Commenting on this program and everything else, uh, we look forward to that. I, I, I really want to make it a, a cool sort of interactive place. Um, it'll be great. I can't believe it. I got through this show. My, uh, it's going to take me maybe a couple of days to actually post this show. Um, but my my hand is, uh, it's it's exhausted after doing this show. I really, I've hardly used my right hand to do this show, but I it's so weird. It's, it's so nutty how much my life is different without the use of my right hand. It's kind of crazy. All right. Back with another edition of the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show real soon. Thank you for checking us out. Always do appreciate it. Anybody that would take even a second of their day to listen to my dopey ramping, uh, rantings, I swear my brain is just not functioning right now. I really do appreciate it, sincerely. All right, see you next time. Uh, the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. Good night. Good night.